Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul's taking the calls at 0818 103 103 and you can text and you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We always love to hear from you. I got my first Christmas card in the post this morning and it's from Anthony Pickford, one of our very loyal listeners to C103 in uh, Limerick and I'm open to correction but I think Anthony's one of those people who gets his Christmas cards away nice and early. I have my Christmas cards purchased but I haven't written them uh, yet. I'm wondering how organised other people are when it comes to uh, writing the Christmas cards and actually getting them into the post. So thanks to Anthony the first of the Christmas cards for uh, 2022. I was reading a story that's uh, it's, it's, well, it says it's an exclusive story in the Irish Mirror uh, this morning and it's to do with kettles and heaters and fans and even fridges and any other what's been deemed non-work related appliances are to be banned in all public sector offices and it's coming in soon it's coming in from the end of this week now it's all part of the government's reduce your use campaign and the hope is is to cut down energy uh, use and they reckon the government reckon that the public service needs to be leading by example so that's why they're introducing this measure and it is coming in from next uh, Friday. Now, needless to say, it has caused uproar in government departments where workers received what, what's been described as a strongly worded circular informing them of the policy this week. One senior member of staff who remains nameless but spoke to the Irish Mirror said it's absolutely ridiculous. They're treating us like children. He said or he or she says it's just pure optics because at the same time they are dumping our fans and our heaters. The empty hallways have the heat on all day, every day. And there's very few people out in the uh, hallways. Now, the circular sent to the public sector staff reads, All public sector bodies are expected to play a key role in lowering their energy use and costs as part of the Reduce Your Use campaign. It has been deemed necessary that all non-work related electrical appliances must be removed from the office floor. And these include, but not exclusively, uh, limited to fans, kettles, fridges, coffee machines, 
heaters, microwaves, toasters and sandwich makers. All such appliances must be removed by close of business on Friday week, November the 25th. And then it says it is strongly worded because the circular says that any appliances remaining after this date will be removed by the services division. So the toasters and the kettles are going to be gone. So I'm, I'm wondering, and I shouldn't be laughing. Listen, it's, it's the government. It's them trying to do their bit. They're trying to cut down on their electricity bill, the same as we're all trying to do in our own homes. But I'm wondering, people working in the private sector, anyone listening to us at work this morning, how would you feel if it was introduced in your workplace if such a ban was introduced? And then is it a step too far? Is it unfair on our civil servants? I mean, many of the civil servants and many workers in the private sector go to work. They might be at their desk from half eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And many of them spend the entire day in the office, not leaving at all. So, you know, that they'll have their coffee break, their tea breaks, they'll have their lunch breaks, they'll have them all in the office, maybe even at their desk. Because I'm thinking, I mean, if they're going to be removing fridges, if people bring food in in the morning, I know here we have a small little canteen here and there's a little under the counter fridge that normally, you know, most of us will stick our lunch in there because you're not going to be eating your lunch until lunchtime. Obviously, the milk is in the fridge for the making of the teas and coffees that we survive on throughout the day. But I mean, if they're going to take the fridge away, that means, you know, where do you where do you put your lunch? Where do you put your, your milk? I mean, there's no point bringing the milk for the coffee because the kettle is gone. So you can't even put on the kettle at Elevenses to make your cup of coffee. So does that mean that the public servants will have to bring a flask with them? And obviously you'll have to make up your tea and coffee in the morning and add your milk into it and have it all in the flask. I suppose there are ways around it. They're taking the microwaves away. There won't be any way for you to heat your lunch. We're in the, you know, the cold winter months. People like might, might like to bring a, a hot dinner with them for their lunch at one o'clock and then just pop it into the microwave that's all going to be taken away from them the fans I can understand there's nobody switching on the fans at the moment I take it there's nobody too hot that they will need the fan on unless it's a woman of a certain age who might need to cool down a little bit at a certain time uh, during the day the heaters a lot of people will have if they feel there isn't enough heat in the office might have a have a little heater that they plug in beside their desk all of those are going to be gone from Friday the 25th of November. Your thoughts welcomed. Are the government right? Are they, are they right to introduce this? Is it only right and proper that they do lead by example? We're constantly hearing ads all over the radio from the government telling all of us to reduce our use. So is it the correct thing to do? They are leading by example and making sure that all of their workers get rid of any appliances that are not work related. Your thoughts welcome to 0818103103. And I don't often comment on stories that are in the papers about court cases, but this one caught my eye because it brought home to me why it is so important that we keep banks, financial institutions, post offices, credit unions, why we keep them opened and opened with staff, physical people behind the counter dealing with customers. Because the story is to do with a Kinsale pensioner 
who was duped into believing that he had to pay over four and a half thousand euro to two men and that he traveled, he'd traveled to his local and he actually did end up going to his local credit union on his mobility scooter, bless his little heart, to withdraw the four and a half thousand euro that the scam artist tried to get out of him. It's uh, It was a case before the courts uh, this week and the the detective guard there, David Barrett, explained that the pensioner was first brought to the Kinsale Credit Union by the two criminals, by the duo, and they sat him between the driver and the front seat passenger in a small little van on the first day and said, oh, we'll bring you down to the Credit Union to get the money out. But they they obviously didn't know Kinsale and they didn't know the Credit Union opening times because when they got down to the Credit Union, it was closed on that particular day. So they told this elderly man, well, you need to pop down yourself tomorrow and withdraw the money. Now, he did go down the next day, but the next day he went down and his mobility scooter but a very vigilant member of staff at the credit union got suspicious as to why this elderly man was withdrawing four and a half thousand euro in cash and the member of the credit union obviously been delay tactics said to the gentleman hang on there a sec uh, went into a back office and rang the guardie and the guardie uh, arrived now before the courts was a john moriarty with uh, two addresses in Killarney and he faces sentencing at Cork Circuit Criminal Court for his part in the attempted deception. The guard that gave evidence that, now not this guy John uh, Moriarty, but another guy called to the house of this elderly man and Moriarty that was sitting out in the van at the time and he called and explained that the elderly man was, it was obviously a made-up story, that he was owed money from his previous employer but in order to release the funds from his previous employer the elderly man would have to give them four and a half thousand uh, euro. But what it's kind of scary was in terms of the detail of the con, the correct reference was made to the victim's previous place of employment. So so these this, these con artists certainly did a bit of work in finding out about this man. And then this guy, Moriarty, who was before the courts, he waited outside the credit union and actually the van he was driving could be seen on CCTV circling the credit union and his attempt to withdraw the four and a half while the, he was attempt while the, while the elderly man was in trying to take the money out but thanks to the the vigilant member of staff no money was handed over and obviously the guard intervened at that uh, point in time but it just struck me that if that was one of those banks that if it was to a bank that gentleman w- was going and it was one of the banks that you just got directed into an ATM machine and you take the money out yourself he may have taken out a large sum of money and handed it over to these guys but because there was a member of staff who obviously knew this man and knew that this was out of character this wasn't something that he normally did he normally didn't come in and draw that kind of money in cash she got he or she got suspicious and then contacted uh, the Gardaí but I say all all the more reason why we do need financial institutions with actually staff inside them on the public servants being told to get rid of any appliance that is not work related from their office or from their floor from Friday week and this has been done part of the government's reduce your use campaign somebody says hi Patricia that's an absolute disgrace I wouldn't be putting up with it regarding taking away all of those electric appliances they'd be better off banning Christmas lights instead but you see the problem is that any electrical item that 
that heats up or generates heats, heat, they're the ones that use the most electricity. So they're exactly the items that all public sector bodies are now expected uh, to get rid of. Uh, things like the kettles, uh, the co- the coffee makers, the heaters, the microwaves, the toasters and the uh, sandwich uh, makers. They're, they're all the ones that are heavy use on electricity. I suppose the argument would be that Christmas lights don't use as much electricity. Actually, talking of Christmas lights, uh, Debbie in Douglas was on to us yesterday wondering, could we find out when will be the official switching on of the Christmas lights? She's got smallies in her, her household. And she's uh, she's wondering, was it going to be happening this Saturday? Because it's normally a Saturday in uh, November. And she likes to you know get in and get into the Christmas uh, atmosphere. Well, I'm reading in the paper, uh, the Examiner today, with an article by Own English, that the City Council Chief Executive Anne Doherty has confirmed that the plug-in of the Christmas lights has been pulled on a large-scale public lighting up event. And it is amid concerns about crowd control. Now, it seemingly it did... Uh, get discussed at a city council meeting and some of the councillors were wondering when would the lights be switched on. She said that the festive lighting up of the city has evolved considerably since she took over as chief executive and that was back in 2014 when there was effectively no major ceremony to the point in recent years, particularly pre-COVID, tens of thousands of people gathered on Patrick Street to watch the big switch being, the lights being switched on. Uh, Anne Doherty says it has become an event that she says was dangerous. Let's call a spade a spade. She said funneling unknown numbers of people into a small space. We can have a wider conversation, she said, about it next year and about what is a better way to approach it. But for this year, they've decided to literally pull the plug on the switching of the lights. That's not to say that the lights won't go on. They'll just, you'll you'll appear in the city one day if it hasn't already happened and the lights will go on, but there won't be that big gathering on Patrick Street. And she is right. It is an event that has absolutely grown uh, on uh, previous years. I think probably the last time pre-COVID, up to like 50,000 people headed into the city for the switching on of the lights. Now, I wonder what business people in the centre of the town feel about it or maybe it's an inconvenience to be to business people because a lot of people turn up for the switching on of the of the lights and some of them would go on and maybe get hot chocolates for the children you know uh, others would go off and do maybe some Christmas shopping just getting into to the festive uh, mood so I would be interested to see how businesses are reflecting on this one were they in favour of having that large gathering of people on one particular Saturday in the city centre or are they preferring the way it's going to happen this year where the lights simply just uh, go on and by the way you know with that text come in somebody saying ban Christmas lights instead against the backdrop of the soaring energy costs the council have confirmed that the Cork City's LED Christmas lights they use 75% less energy than traditional bulbs and that in an effort to conserve energy the front of City Hall that now is only going to be illuminated for one hour every night between eight and nine for the rest of the time the lights will be off and the city's bridge illumination programme that will continue as uh, usual which I'm glad to see because the, the lighting up of the bridges, uh, bridges are, I think are, are, are lovely to see but City Hall will just now be illuminated for one hour 
between 8 and 9 and I don't know about the, the rest of the lights down all of the different streets I'm assuming they're on a timer and they'll be limited as well but they are LED Christmas lights so they use much less energy but no official switching on of the Christmas lights in Cork City they'll just be on someday when you go to do some shopping 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Now it really is shameful to say that Ireland is still known as the puppy farm capital of uh, Europe so it'll come as no surprise to hear that Dogs Trust is calling for tougher penalties for people who run these farms joining me to discuss their campaign is Susie Carley, who is Executive Director of Dogs Trust Ireland. Good morning to you, Susie. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you, How are you? Well, I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose, can you just firstly um, explain to us how you define a puppy farm? Well, we would define a puppy farm as someplace who, who breeds, um, in effect, for profit um, and puts profit ahead of the welfare of the dogs and the puppies that they have in their care. And would there be excessive breeding of the dogs under their care? Absolutely, Patricia. These would be people that, as I say, there's there's profit involved, so so they're breeding intensively. Um, Sometimes the mums breeding more than once a year. Um, Their welfare isn't their primary concern. It is the profit um, that they can make from, from breeding these dogs. And in an ideal world, how many litters should a bitch have per year? Is it only the one? It's in an ideal world, yes. I suppose it would be on a case by case basis as well, Patricia, because it depends on on the age of the dog, the breed of the dog, do they have any genetic conditions? Um, have they had C sections previously? Um, are they nursing okay? Are they healthy weight? There's so many different conditions um, that we need to take into consideration. Um, and that's why this campaign aims to to look at the, the campaign as puppy farms are, are a life sentence. So we want to highlight that there's often lenient penalties imposed to those responsible for the horrific misery endured on the puppy farms. So we're asking the, the public to support our call um, and sign the petition calling for tougher punishment for those that aren't putting the welfare of those puppies and mums and stud dogs at the forefront of what they're doing. And what sort of fines and penalties are handed out when prosecutions occur at the moment? There's there's quite a range. They they range from, you know, a slap on the wrist, a 200 euro oh. fine, absolutely, um, to, to, to hundreds, um, to, to, to thousands of, of euros. And the maximum fine that can be imposed currently is €100,000 or five years in prison. But those kind of fines aren't happening. And we're finding more and more often that those fines are the lesser end of the scale. And if you think about it, you know, if you get a €200 fine, that's often less than what they're selling an actual puppy for. So they don't act as a deterrent for people to continue doing what they're doing. So we'd like to see the higher end, end, end of those um, prosecutions being made and, and to create that deterrent and, and put people off doing that kind of behaviour because 
you know, to sometimes to be able to talk to these people, we need to be hitting them where it hurts. And that, unfortunately, is their, is their, yeah. is their pocket. Because as you said at the start, the, this is all about profit. This is nothing to do with the care and welfare of uh, the animals uh, that they have on the puppy farm. And then when puppies are born on these farms, what effect does that does it have on the puppy? It's a really good question. And it, it's one that we don't and we can't ask ourselves all the time because we we may see a, a little puppy online and they're so gorgeous and they're so cute and um, we it, an emotive response happens. But those puppies often come from 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 dark and cold and and no human conditions or interaction with these puppies. Um, sometimes they get taken away from mum too early and they haven't had the opportunity to be socialised and habituated. So to do all the things that young pups, you know, ideally up to the age of 16 weeks, um, are those real formative times in their lives where they, they learn about um, interacting with their siblings, they learn about human contact, they learn different sounds, different textures, all these things which make them to be wonderful dogs, which give them this, such a brilliant start in life to send them out into the world where they become happy, socialised, you know, great with other dogs. They don't suffer from, you know, separation anxiety and, and all these awful, awful things that we see when, unfortunately, we, we, we see a lot of these, these puppies and mums coming into our care at Dogs Trust. Um, and again, we, we we end up picking up the pieces financially. Yeah, yeah because because what happens is a family buys a dog in in you know in good faith, not yeah. realizing they're buying from a puppy farm. Then they take the little puppy home. All these kind of problems then start to occur. The family can't cope with it, and then it's it's like you guys at a dog's trust end up picking up the pieces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the last few years alone, um, from treating a about 160 victims of puppy farming. Um, we, yeah, we spent over 60,000 euros on those veterinary fees alone. That doesn't include all the other ancillary costs. Of course, it would we, we would need to support those those puppies. And and often, I think the two of these places were were, were fined less than 2,000 euros each. So it doesn't seem like a fair exchange. No, and then no. You have members of the public who who genuinely want to do the best for their dogs and and and, and try their best to to do research, and then they they're duped in, in into buying um, dogs that come from from puppy farms, um, and then they end up incurring the cost themselves through veterinary costs, from behaviour rehabilitation. So it's it's across the board, and and you'll see it across the board in all animal welfare uh, organisations ac- across the country. And the, the mums, the bitches, when you when those dogs are rescued from puppy farms, are, are some of them found, Susie, in dreadful condition? They are. It's, it's actually heartbreaking to see. You see their eyes. You see the look in their eyes of pure terror. A lot of them are afraid even to bark. They don't even know their own voices. And they just curl at the back of the... Um, the the maternity ward we, we we have, which is a purpose-built unit for for mums and puppies in dogs trust, and they just take it, you know the the care. They're just wonderful. The time um, and the consideration, just gently and slowly bringing these mums into being able to to touch them, to be able to take out the mat in their fur, for the vet to be able to deal with ear conditions, skin conditions, and it's just it's heartbreaking to see, and they're. So, you know, we eventually 
they, they come to a point where they can be rehomed and they, wonderful adopters who, who continue that journey with them um, with care and love and de- dedication. But it shouldn't come to that, Patricia. No. We shouldn't have that. No, absolutely, absolutely not. And do they recover, Susie? They do. do, they they? do. In, in many cases, not always, they'll always be, there are our special friends. They're the ones that just will need you know, those really patient and wonderful adopters, but they, they thrive in the right environment for them. You know, they're great in a lot of cases with other dogs because they've been brought up with them. Sometimes they're not great with people. Sometimes they're not great with women or men or there's various different things. Yeah. But once we know that and we can help um, work through that with the adopters, they, they, they can come into their own and, and well become done. wonderful, wonderful. Well done. You, 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 do, you do amazing work and people can support the uh, uh, Puppy Farms are a life sentence. It's on your own website, is it, Susie? It is indeed. We would be so, so grateful if people could go onto our web, uh, website, dogstrust.ie, sign your name, join us, the petition for um, for tougher punishment for these puppy farmers. And I think together as a country, we've seen such a groundswell um, of positivity and, and we, we know that together please sign your name we'd be incredibly grateful to come on this journey with us and of course a timely reminder of the annual advice don't give puppies as Christmas presents absolutely it is it's one of those it's one of the we've been a dog is for life not just for Christmas was yeah. coined over 40 years ago is my dog trust and we're still saying it Patricia yeah. but it's important to say it we're not saying that, you know, a right, the right household may not celebrate Christmas in the same way as I do with my children and the madness of it all. And that, you know, every household is different and needs to consider certain things. But, you know, we've got poncetta plants, we've got chocolate, we've got the madness of our neighbours coming in. We've got everything around us. We just need to think, is this the right time to bring a little one to join our family? Or would um, sometime in the new year when things settle down be better? if you're having the madness of Christmas, but it may be perfect for other people who are are, are, are just, you know, a very small family over the Christmas and have that time and, um, you know, opportunity to dedicate to the puppies. But it's really about the consideration. Is it the right time to get a, to- a dog? Is this the right dog for me? You know, we can see the looming cost of living crisis. We see the number of dogs being surrendered into us. We just need to take a deep breath and go, is this the right thing for me? And we have wonderful resources on the website. Again, dogstrust.ie, getting a dog. And it gives lots and lots of questions and tips to ask yourself before embarking on that journey. Okay. Come and talk to us. We're here to, to chat the process through. Do your research. Listen, uh, Susie, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. And good luck with your campaign. Much appreciated, Patricia. Thank Thanks. you very much. Bye bye. That is uh, Susie Carley, Executive Director of Dogs uh, Trust uh, Ireland. Please go on their website and sign that campaign. It's just hideous, hideous to think that we still have uh, puppy farms. And unfortunately, here in Cork, we have a number of them. 0818 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMI. We're actually going to stay on the topic of animals this morning because the owner of a wildlife park in County Donegal wants wolves reintroduced to the wild in Ireland to cope with the rising deer population right across the country. To share his thoughts, Killian McLaughlin, who's founder of Wild Ireland Wildlife Park in Inishowen, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Killian. 
Good morning. Uh, you are very welcome to the programme. OK, can you start by explaining why you believe it's important for us to consider reintroducing wolves into the wild? Yes. So my, what I'm proposing is not just opening the gates at Wild Ireland and releasing wolves into the Donegal countryside. What I'm talking about is an, a restoration of our ecosystem, um, which has been damaged by humans and man's sort of wanton destruction. Uh, the wolf was native to Ireland. Uh, the last wolf was killed in 1786. And it's only now that we're starting to see the consequences of losing our apex predator in this country. Deer numbers have increased to a point now where they're almost at breaking point. And up and down the country, not just Donegal, there has been an increase in deer killed on the roads. Uh, a lot of people have been injured and a lot of cars damaged. And I say this in light of, you know, the climate emergency that was declared earlier this year. Um, Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, said that we're on the highway to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator. Um, and, and the restoration of the wolf has been shown right across the world to regenerate the ecosystem and restore balance. And that's simply what has happened in this country. We've yeah, lost our balance. And they are, unfortunately, the, the deer are causing so many accidents. I only saw in the papers this morning uh, a mechanic uh, in Donegal saying they've been called out to tow cars that have been really badly, badly damaged by hitting a deer, especially at night when you can't see them. And, and he's actually um, um, uh, afraid that it could end up, somebody could end up getting killed. There are there have been people killed with deer on the road. Um, according to the Angarda Shiakana website, there's between four and five hundred uh, road traffic collisions a year with deer. And it's interesting. Um, a lady called Jennifer Rayner in America examined um, the economic impact of having wolves in an area, and she discovered that when there are wolves present, that road traffic collisions with deer actually reduced by twenty four percent, which is a quarter. Um, that's lives saved and that's dollars saved as well. Um, she looked at the consequences of killing them as well as, as part of a human cull and she found that those results on the roads could not be replicated. And the reason for that is that the, the deer feel exposed when they go near the roads um, and they change their behaviour when the top predator comes back. And I should be clear as well that I'm not ca- calling for an extermination or a verminization of our, our native wildlife. Deer are, important, are an important part of our ecosystem as well. But as I said, they've just fallen out of balance, and human culling doesn't work. And there's several studies, and, and that that's and, and we've proven that because we seem to do culls every year, but it just doesn't seem to be working. Yeah, it's really interesting if you look at the Department of Agriculture figures. Um, the cull back in 1995, they culled 4,749 deer, and the most recent figures that I can find are from 2020, where they killed 40,000 deer. And it's interesting. You would imagine that when they're culling, that the numbers would go down, but the opposite happens because they generally go for the stags. and The stags, as you know, hold the territory. They keep all the small, weaker guys out. And those, those guys just disperse or die off of natural causes. But when the stag's taken out, it gives those small, weak guys a chance to come in. And there's a breeding free-for-all, basically, because, you know, they're all able to breed. It also increases the numbers of invasive species as well. So the big red stag is able to keep sika deer off the land. And, and sika deer do not belong in this country. They're introduced by man. They're originally from Japan. So when you take out the red, which is our native guy, uh, the fika deer move in. And again, this is this is causing a, a biodiversity crisis in Ireland. And humans simply cannot control this. We, we do not have the capability to do it. Um, and a cull is quite different to hunting as well. Hunting, hunting is like a harvesting, um, but a cull is a complete wipe, you know, where you're actually shooting 
pretty much everything that moves in the in the countryside. And you know, we look back to Oliver Cromwell's time when he when he ordered the Call of Wolves, um, and we've seen a, a a complete breakdown in the ecosystem since um, 1653 when he put a bounty on their heads. And now we're we're hearing cries from uneducated politicians to do the same thing to the deer. It just doesn't yeah, work. But, but the very notion of introducing wolves into the wild, we have, a lot of us have the fairy tale image of the big bad uh, wolf. Uh, talk to me about, are, are they considered a danger to humans or indeed to other animals? Yeah, so you hit the nail on the head there. You know, every child, the big bad wolf inevitably comes into the bed before before sleep time and yeah. mom or dad reads the story about the big bad wolf and he's going to eat your granny. The truth is that wolves avoid people at all costs. Um, there's a, there was a study carried out by the Norwegian Institute of Nature Research and they looked at the wolf attacks from 2002 to 2020 and in those 18 years there was one person killed by a wolf in America, there was one killed by a wolf in Canada and then the rest of them were in the Middle East. They found that most of the attacks were when people interfered with wolves, they were trying to capture, capture them or kill them. Um, and they concluded that your chances of being killed by a wolf are above zero, but too small to calculate. Whereas if you compare that, we're talking about saving lives here on the roads. There's a lot more people getting injured and hurt by deer. Um, and, and then we look to the continent, our close neighbours. Ireland, I think, is one of the only countries now still in the EU that doesn't have wolves. And, you know, we're not we're not hearing stories from France or from oh, Italy, People Spain, and animals Portugal. being killed. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. You're right. And exactly. something else that I wasn't aware of um, until I started looking into it when you were coming on the programme, it can help control Lyme's disease. Now, I we've spoken with people on, on this programme before who have... Um, uh, who picked up Lyme's disease and Lyme's disease is on, on the increase and it's an, it's a horrific disease to pick up. Yeah, it is quite a debilitating disease and there's quite a few people uh, in my area that have it as well. Um, Lyme disease is quite complex. It, it it relies on the tick, the deer tick and a tick is like a parasite. I'm sure you've seen them on your dog. Yeah. And, and if you're out walking, you'll get them on your own body and they have a complex life cycle. They must bite a, a rodent first and that's actually where they pick up the Lyme disease from a rat or a mouse. Um, and then they, after feeding on the rat of the mouse, they fall off. And then to complete their life cycle, they must get a feed den of rich blood that comes from the deer. And you can imagine, if the density of deer decreases, there's a lot less ticks breeding and a lot less um, areas where, um, you know, that Lyme disease could be... Lyme disease is reduced. There's a 2019 study, actually, that looked at the prevalence of disease in areas where there were wolves, and, and it showed a marked reduction in the prevalence of disease and prey species such as wild boar, and that included TB. TB is um, obviously quite a debilitating disease for, for farmers. You know, Over the course of 10 years, you might lose a couple of cattle to wolves, but if you get TB into your herd, you lose you know, the entire lose the herd. Whole lot. Exactly. Yeah, and it's, yeah, quite, it's quite um, complex about the what? disease, whether or not deer spread it to cattle, but that's another story. Are you getting a mixed reaction to your I suggestion, am. particularly in Donegal? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm getting um, branded a lunatic, and I'm also. <laughs> you don't sound like a, a lunatic hero. to us. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people are, are, are congratulating me and saying, look, you know, it's it's just it's just about education and it's about people just opening their mind a little bit and, and saying, Okay, what do I actually know about wolves when I when I believe that wolves are gonna kill my granny and kill all my sheep? How do I know that? Where did that information come from? Open the mind, open the ears and listen to what people are saying, um, because it can work and it does work in our neighbouring countries. And you have wolves obviously in your own wildlife park. <laughs> 
I do. I have a pack of wolves. Yeah, they're quite different now to what a wild wolf would be. My wolves were raised by humans, so okay. they have very little fear. Whereas wild wolves have they avoid people at all costs. Um, they, if you released wolves into the wild, you would you would rarely see them. And what I the point that I, that I make as well is that in areas where there are wolves, and Scotland has actually looked into detail in this. The influx then of tourism and ecotourism would would far balance out any losses that would be encountered from livestock. You know. Okay. Yeah. It's. I think the debate. You've you started the debate, and I think that's the important thing. But the evidence is certainly there from uh, other countries, and it does seem like a success in other countries. Killian, it was a real pleasure uh, to speak with you. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good morning to you, Killian McLaughlin, there, founder of Wild Ireland Wildlife Park, which is in Inishown. And as uh, Ken on our breakfast show this morning said, it's on his bucket list of someplace that he really, really wants to go and see. It's a fascinating, fascinating wildlife park. 0818103103. John Paul, taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp us to 0862103103. We're going to take a break. We've news at 11. A really interesting man from North Cork for you to meet in the next hour who had managed to lose 10 stone in weight and he did it in about seven months. We'll find out his success story after news at 11. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And thank you to Audrey, one of our listeners, just sent in a WhatsApp saying, Patricia, would you please, please, please ask and remind motorists to turn the lights on in their cars when they're out driving this morning and vans. I've met a lot with no lights on already this morning and there really is a terrible, dense fog in some areas. So please light up when you are heading out in your cars or vans or any vehicles this morning. Thank you for that, Audrey, and safe driving. 0862-103-103. we're talking about the, that we should consider the reintroduction of deers into the wild when I spoke with Killy McLaughlin who runs Wild, uh, wild Ireland at Wildlife Park. That has led Joe to say, would wolves go after sheep? Not much point bringing them back into the wild if they're going after farmers and their flocks of sheep. Well, that's one of the reasons, certainly in Donegal, where Killian's Wildlife Park is based. That's one of the arguments against introducing wolves into the wild. There is a fear from the farming community, you know, with some farmers saying we've enough problems with domestic dogs without having to worry about uh, wolves about uh, wolves but they knock the other side of that is that there is uh, an increase in Lyme disease also if there's a TB outbreak in an area you have a tendency not to have a lot of TB uh, when you can reduce the wild deer population so there would be pluses and negatives obviously to the farming community I don't know how many sheep would be lost if if wolves were uh, released into the wild but Hugh joins me was listening to my interview with Killian. Uh, Hugh was in Carrigaline good morning to Hugh Good morning, Patricia. You, you you watched an interesting video on this topic of reintroducing wolves into the wild. Tell me about it. Many years ago, um, a friend of mine um, sent it to me. I think you can, I, I certainly Googled it, and it's called How Wolves Change Rivers. It's a fascinating four and a half minute video, but um, it's, uh, I think the expression is a, a trophic cascade. And that is basically an ecological process that starts at the top of the food chain and works its way down to the bottom. Yellowstone Park, as you know, is 
absolutely huge. Mm. And they reintroduced wolves um, in 1995 after, I think, 70 years of, of there being none there. It was to help with the deer population. Um, and it was fascinating how quickly it moved because obviously the wolves um, looked upon the deer as food. The deer got a little bit cheesed off with that and started moving from their usual habitat, moving further afield. And because of that, the knock-on effect was um, extraordinary. Um, little shrubs and trees that they'd been eating because of the overpopulation, they started to grow again. Um, the wolves also killed coyotes. And because of that, the numbers of rabbits and mice and weasels and foxes increased. Um, and because of that, the birds of prey increased. More birds of prey came in because there was more food there. The bear population improved because there was more berries on new bushes and apparently bears eat lots of berries. Okay. Um, but um, the fascinating thing was that it regenerated the forests and... Um, changed the course of a river how the wolves changed the course of the river goodness it, it, me yeah goodness it's me and it's well it's it's all back to the balance of nature isn't it and and, and it's yeah. man interfered with the balance of nature and now we're paying the consequences of it yeah but it it, it shows that it can it can be brought back to where it was and where it should be um, you know, I mean, with the, the, the rivers, the river banks being more stabilised and less um, sort of hammered by erosion because of, of the growth of trees and bushes along the, the river's edges that before had been eaten by deer, um, you know, it formed more pools, there was more birds, um, uh, in, uh, seabirds, uh, more fish, um, beavers and all those sort of things um, in, increased. And so the whole ecosystem really reverted back to normal. Uh, it's extraordinary. It's well worth having a... Uh, yeah, a and actually, John Paul has checked. It is available on YouTube. If you just go onto YouTube and put in How Wolves Change Rivers, I'm definitely yeah. going to uh, take a look at that. Thank you for that, uh, Hugh. You're more than welcome. And uh, thanks for joining us. And actually, in um, Arizona, in the States, they decided to reintroduce uh, wolves for the reason that Killian had mentioned. And this is to do with the amount of road traffic accidents that occur because of if there's a large deer population in, in an area. And in Arizona, they showed a decrease of 75% in road accidents involving deer because wolves were shown to hunt along the highways and the byways of, of the road system. So there was less road accidents caused by a deer. So there's a lot of research out there and a lot of pluses as to why wolves. But I just think we've got this negative connotation of the wolf the big bad wolf and I think that's somehow got into all of our psyche so thanks to Hugh for that if people want to go on to YouTube at some stage and take a look at that how wolves change uh, rivers and then I had a oh i looking for help we always like to try to get advice for people a listener says hi Patricia would anyone have any advice please on how to get rid of the smell of sour milk out of a car and how to dry out the back seat as I don't have a dehumidifier. Well, the back seat will eventually dry out, but it's the smell. You're going to have a bigger, bigger problem with getting rid of the smell. And I remember many years ago, it was a work Jeep that uh, we had access to and it was cream got spilt. And I swear to God, for a full year after, it's the smell of sour milk out of the Jeep was just disgusting. I don't know how in the end 
uh, it eventually went. But does anybody have tips to get the smell of sour milk out of a car? And uh, also at the same time, how to dry out the back seat. If anybody can help with that, please, with advice. 0818103103 or text our WhatsApp. And then I had somebody, Anne, contact me on WhatsApp, actually, to say that doing a bit of a clear out of one of the cupboards and she came across her packet of iodine tablets. Remember the ones that we were all issued in the early noughties? She actually said she received them on the 8th of the 8th. 2003. There was an update on those tablets in September of 2006 and we were told to disregard the expiry date because the expiry date on it at that time was March 2006 and we were told they would still be okay. I remember that the iodine tablets would still be safe to use up to January of 2009. January 2009 is long gone and Anne says any chance you could give us an update on what is happening with those tablets well just literally I did a quick bit of research just while the news had a 11 was on um, and the latest piece I can find was from 2015 I'll see this afternoon if I can find out any more about it but at that stage in 2015 because obviously people were again finding the tablets in their cupboards and scratching their heads as to what will I do with my iodine uh, tablets and the Department of Health who had issued the initial ones uh, came out in 2015 and said they wouldn't be reissuing iodine uh, tablets and of course at the time iodine tablets they're designed to counteract radioactive iodine and the reason that they were issued nationwide was because there was fears of a terrorist attack on the Sellafield site and Sellafield of course is 180 kilometres away from the Irish coast so in 2002 the government issued 14.2 million tablets to every household in the country. It came at the time at a cost of €630,000. But of course, those tablets that were issued in 2002 had an expiry date of 2005. But in 2015, the government came out, or the department came out and said they're not going to be replacing them because they said at the time the threat of a nuclear meltdown had receded and taking them wouldn't do anything anyway they decided after <laughs> issuing those tablets to everyone now when they were pushed as to what God forbid if something did happen what should uh, people do I mean if taking the tablets weren't going to help us so the advice from the EPA at the time in 2015 was if there was any kind of uh, nuclear threat or a nuclear explosion you are to stay uh, go indoors stay indoors turn on your TV or your radio uh, to be kept further informed and uh, staying and then after when you when you come back out into civilization, you're to avoid contaminated foodstuffs after the emergency has subsided and by far the most effective way of reducing your radiation uh, dose from all radioactive materials is just not to consume any radioactive um, contaminated food stuffs. But basically in 2015, we were told then that the tablets wouldn't do any good anyway. Now, I have to say, I'm assuming, I don't know, is Anne going to throw hers out or is she going to just put them back into the cupboard? I still have mine in the very same cupboards that I think I probably put them into when I received them in uh, 2002, 2003. It's more of a nostalgia thing at this stage. I've decided I'm just going to leave them there and when I'm dead and gone and somebody comes to do a, a big clear out of the house, they'll be found and maybe in future years they'll appear on one of those antique roadshow programmes 
in 100 years time and they'll talk about what happened in 2002 in Ireland when the country decided to issue everyone with iodine tablets but then they discovered that the iodine tablets were literally going to be of no use if there was some kind of a nuclear threat. 0818103103 on the public servants being told to get rid of their kettles and their toasters and their uh, heaters. A couple of people on about that. Hi Patricia, I think banning fridges, toasters in public sector workplaces is most unfair. We hear so much about promoting well-being in the workplace. And this measure, to me, flies in the face of it. People have enough on their plate at the moment. And that's from Helen in Mallow, who feels it's very, very unfair on the public servants. And my fear is that, you know, if it gets introduced and it is coming into the public service, will it, will it then begin to happen in the private sector? Because I just, during News at 11, I also popped upstairs and made a quick cup of coffee by turning on the kettle. I'd hate to think that my cup of coffee would be gone every hour on the hour. Pat in Fomoy uh, says on the public service getting of the kettles. He noticed a person in Fomoy who some morning, mornings can head up the street with eight takeaway coffees in her hand. Uh, and I wonder sometimes, says Pat, when I pass her, do they not have a kettle in the workplace? The cost of takeaway coffees must be about €2.50 each. How much does it cost to boil a kettle? But after hearing your story today about the public service, that could explain it. Well, the spin-off from that can be for cafes. Cafes might do well if workplaces are not allowed to have kettles and toasters the local cafe might do well with uh, takeaway coffees and a lot of people uh, Pat prefer a takeaway coffee to a coffee that you just your instant cup of coffee that you get out of your kettle 0818103103 and I also mentioned earlier that awful case of in Kinsale of that poor elderly pension who was nearly duped out of four and a half thousand euro by criminals can't even say scam artists they're absolute uh, criminals who persuaded him that he was owed money, but in order for him to get the money back, he needed to hand them four and a half thousand a euro. And they persuaded him to go to his local credit union, which bless his heart, he did on his mobility scooter. But thanks to the really vigilance of an excellent staff member at Kinsale Credit Union, they alerted the Gardaí and thankfully no money was handed over. And I was making the point that when I read that case in the paper this morning, it, it confirmed to me the reason why we need staff at our financial institutions to look after after people who might be a little bit vulnerable and for you know people behind the staff to, to, behind the counter to question maybe if they get a bit suspicious because obviously that's what happened in this case this staff worker realised that this wasn't a common thing that this elderly man did was to take out large sums of money like that in cash and that got their suspicions going so they contacted the Gardaí and I was saying that if he'd gone to an ATM machine and withdraw it he could have lost his four and a half thousand euro. Somebody wants to point out that the maximum withdrawal from an ATM machine is 700 euro a day so if he was sent to an unmanned bank or ATM as you put it this wouldn't have allowed the 4,500 euro to be withdrawn yeah but what would have then happened was he'd have taken out the 700 euro the guys waiting outside and said we'll meet you same time same place tomorrow and I guarantee you they would have been there every day until the elderly gentleman had withdrawn the 4,500 and then this texter says regardless it doesn't sound like he is the right slash competent position to be in control of his own money I take huge huge offence to you saying that this man 
got duped by these con artists. There are many people get duped by con artists. They're not always elderly people. Younger people get duped by con artists as well. How many people have got uh, duped by many of the online scams that are doing uh, the rounds? So you're very wrong to say that his financial control should be taken away from him just because he nearly got duped by criminals who turned up at his door. I completely disagree with you, sir, or madam. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Plant Hire, they've got vacancies for two plant mechanics. You do need to have some previous experience, please. Call 087 3285 Dano Super Value in Mallow, they're recruiting full and part time staff. Now it's for checkouts, shop floor, and the deli department. CVs, please, um, by emailing. 344-Mallow-HR at supervalue.ie General operative needed to join a traffic management team. It's in the North Cork area 083-020-8471 And a full-time dog groomer and a part-time kennel helper wanted for Hairy Hounds. They're based in Churchtown. They can call Hairy Hounds at 87 2246207. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Last week I saw the most wonderful video of a Mallow man that really made me smile. He had moved to Mallorca and over a seven month period lost 10 stone in weight. And he returned home to show family and friends the slimmed down version of himself. Needless to say, the reactions were jaw dropping. Brian O'Keefe uh, joins me to share his incredible uh, journey. Good morning to you, Brian. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose before we talk about your success, take me back. Did you always battle with your weight issues and had you tried to do all of the various diets and tried to lose weight in the past? Pretty much. I, I started kind of at 11 or 12 and then I started playing sports as a teenager and it went away. And then at 19, I had a knee injury and it just after that, I stopped playing sports and I just ballooned. And I tried everything, you know, I tried keto diet and CrossFit and intermittent fasting and everything you can think of. I had a balloon in my stomach at one stage and just nothing worked or at least if it worked for a period of time, it never you know, I'd, I'd, some habit would, would break due to, you know, a night out with friends or whatever. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd just end up back where I started and probably plus a few more kilos. So how did you come up with the idea of going to Mallorca? Well, so I moved to Mallorca two years ago just to work remotely and I thought it would be a healthier place for me anyway. And I kind of like like the previous time. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Two months of great success in the gym and probably lost three stone but you know it was a drop in the ocean of what i had to lose and then lockdown happened again here and i piled it all back on and a uh, year after i moved which was last november i decided okay this is it uh, i'm gonna move out to the wilderness and uh, i'd listened to a podcast that said analyze your failures of of why you can't why you see why you continually fail to kind of reach your your goal weight and my failures were you know a weakness for my family and friends as we all do and you know they we love to go out for dinner or we love to go for a few drinks and any kind of good habits I ever had would always you know go to crap after that and the other one I had was for food delivery apps so I lived like I worked in London Dublin and even when I moved out to New York at first you know you can be disciplined for the majority of the day and you have one minute of ill discipline and in my case I'd have three or five thousand calories at my door so they were the two things where I said okay let's uh let's make sure I cut them out just for a period of time and I moved out to kind of this tiny little fishing village here and got to work. And when you moved out, as you say, to the wilderness in in Mallorca, did you then not? Did you have much contact with your family? Did they know what you were were, were up to? They knew I'd moved out here, and just after Christmas, I called them all and I said, "Look, I'm not going to talk to you for a while. Uh, I've got something I want to work on." And I don't think I was much more specific than that. And uh, <laughs> they were mostly supportive. Um, I think afterwards they told me they were crazy, but I told them that uh, I, I, I'd keep going till the end of March, and I'd talk to them then. And at the end of March, it was working. Now they didn't know that, but I texted them all the mass texts to my friends and family at the end of March. Here I'm actually going to go on till the end of July and I think at that point there's a little bit more concern but they, you know I I, uh, I stayed the course Okay I'm, I, I'm sure they were worried about you I mean have they subsequently said what they thought you were up to? Yeah so I think they knew I battled my weight for so long so I'd say they had a fairly good idea oh, of what I, what I was at but yeah they, they were worried um, yeah my, my sister called me recently and 
because uh, I've been asked that question a lot and uh, she said she was terrified. She didn't even know my address. So that if anything happened, you know, <laughs> she wouldn't know where to find me. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there, there were there was a lot of concern, but uh, not to me. Like they let me get on with it, yeah. which was kind of very. They trusted you. They did. They, they, they trusted you. OK, so the big question then is, how did you do it? How did you lose 10 stone in seven months? Yeah, well, I suppose weight loss is, is is really, it's very simple. It's not easy. It's very simple. It's you maintain a calorie deficit for, and that's the easy part, um, uh, but for uh, the amount of time you need to lose weight, and that's the hard part because you have to stay consistent with it. So I read a book by David Goggins, who's an ex-Navy SEAL and could be like the toughest man on the planet. He runs ultramarathons and all this. And he kind of said, well, you know, try and make yourself as uncomfortable as possible every day, you know, and that will build your mental resilience and your discipline. And I'd never thought of it that way before. I'd always tried to make weight loss, you know, as comfortable or as easy to fit into my life as possible. And I said, okay, well, you know, I've tried everything else. Why don't I try this? And so initially I started just walking my dog um, for uh, uh, 90 minutes a day for two weeks. And then after that, I started a 2,200 calorie diet where I ate everything, but I just made sure it was within 2,200 calories every day. And uh, then I started uh, weights six days a week. And a week after that, I started running with the Couch to 5K app three days a week. And a week after that, I started swimming three days a week. And so in the space of five weeks, I got from zero exercise to, you know, five hours a day. And then every day after that, I just tried to make it harder, you know, one more rep in the gym or one more length of the pool or one more step with the dog, whatever it was. Um, I just tried to make it harder and harder and it built the discipline and I was fortunate like it worked. But you, but you did all that on your own. You, you, you had nobody there to say, well, don't go on, keep going. You're doing fantastic. The, the mental no. resilience of it. Where, where do you think that came from? It was, it was the exercise, you know, it was pushing myself. Like I, I had low motivation to do it every day, but I ended up building the habits over the first kind of five weeks. And I read the first two months and I just kept at it. And every day I didn't want to do it, but because I'd have it in place, I just did it. And then that's that's that was what the book talked about. Um, but yeah, I had my dog with me though, so I talked to her like she's a human. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and but, me but I mean, you you obviously had to have downtime. What what did you do in the downtime? Well, for the first three months, it was incredibly tough. So I I basically didn't did well. I, I was working remotely for until the end of January, and then I quit to just focus on the weight loss because I knew it was happening. But other than like that, working in January, I'd exercise, I'd cook my food, um, you know, and that that was it. I'd sleep, and I'd otherwise I'd lie on the couch, and if I had to go to the toilet or get up to go to bed, I'd be hobbling my body being oh, bits. God, and so it was tough. Like it was a lot of suffering. After about three months, my body got used to it, though, um, and, you know, I was able to run and increase the distance I was running significantly, and I managed to do um, a, a, a sprint triathlon at 20 stone in March on a course I just created around my house, and then I built up to a half marathon uh, at the end of July, having barely been able to run 100 metres uh, when I started the running app. It's incredible. In December. Were you lonely at any stage during the seven months? Um Oh, yeah, I mean, I I definitely miss my family, but I like I was just I knew I was fulfilling, a, you know, a, I, was, I was about to achieve a goal that I wanted for so long. And so that just really kept me going. Like I was, you know, uh, even though it was tough and like I was hungry and I was injured and 
you know, I was tired and all these things. I just, you know, I and like, you know, that that, that really just the fact that I knew it was going to happen. I just just keep stay the course, and and I also knew from about April I was going to surprise everyone, um, and so I started planning that, and so that was great. Every day in the gym, I'd be thinking about you know the faces of of everyone when I surprised them, mm. and yeah, that was that was another That's thing that kept me going. Great motivation, wasn't it, uh, to, uh, to do that? And in your head, had you set that figure of ten stone to lose? Uh, I wasn't really sure how how much like I knew I'd started twenty four stone two pounds, and so I knew my good a good weight for me would be around fourteen stone. So kind of it was yeah it was kind of at that stage I was like okay well not only is it like around the right figure it sounds good as well so I might as well try for that. But I mean I'm assuming it requires a whole new wardrobe, does it? Yeah, that, that that was one of the most that was one of the best things. Like other than the reactions of my family, I, I used to be a forty four inch waist and I uh I had to buy a new wardrobe to fly home and like while I was exercising I just stayed in my four XL t shirts and my triple XL, you know, shorts, even though they're almost falling off me. Um and then because I knew I was like if I kept if I started buying clothes at some stage I was gonna grow out of them because I had so much weight to lose. So uh anyway, I, I just before I flew to home I went to, to buy some jeans and she asked me what size I was I was like you know I have no idea she goes I think you're 32 and I said there's no way I'm a 32 and I tried them on a sure of course I was a 32 I oh fantastic <laughs> a lifelong dream to get into the 32 inch waist uh, jeans uh, well done did you get an unmerciful buzz out of the reaction of your family and friends yeah, it was phenomenal. You know, I'm still living off it now. It's it's great. I like I still watch the video and get you know emotional. And uh, yeah, it's 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 really uh, really special. You know, especially for some, like, you know, my they've all supported me the whole way. Tried to help me my like for 15 years buying me different exercise equipment or my friends trying to pull me to go to the gym with them or whatever it was. So to to finally have done it and uh, yeah, they were they were as happy as I was to be honest. Well done, well done, and and so so proud that's the one thing you could see in the reaction of all of the people just how proud they were um, of you and you're back you're actually joining us this morning you're back in in Mallorca is is life now in Mallorca for Brian O'Keefe it is for the next few months anyway I'm going to stay here till April I I, I was back in Mallow there in uh, in August and September and separate occasions which is nice so I got to see some of my friends back in Mallow but uh, yeah I'm going to stay here till April I don't think I'll do another summer here it's just uh, unbearably hot it's like yeah. 40 degrees and 85% humidity so even at 14 stone it's, it's unbearable <laughs> so yeah and are you are you working there? Uh, I'm not at the moment. I'm trying to build a, a, a business of helping people to lose weight now. So um, at the moment, I'm reading the recipe book. I've got loads of applications. This is the video went viral on, on TikTok. I've loads of applications to help people. So I'm trying to filter through them and see who I can you know, help the most. And that's what I'm trying to focus on right now. Fantastic. So your whole life has now gone in a different direction. Because what, what had you been working at? I was a consultant for startups, mostly in London working across kind of product and marketing and operations and project management, fundraising, that, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so uh, it's it's not too dissimilar in terms uh, well, of... Well, you, you, you now have the skill set to start up your own business. And I think it's going to be hugely yeah, successful because you're a great success story. Thanks, and Patricia. obviously, a number of people are saying, uh, do you worry now about keeping it off? And, and what's your plan to keep it off? Yeah, so uh, it's, it's, it is a, a tough one, you know, if, uh, but my plan is to just keep 
keep doing weights six days a week until January. And then I, what, what I need in my life is challenges. So like, like the triathlon I told you about is a half marathon. So I keep a list of them on my phone and they're varied. They're, you know, obviously a marathon would be on it and, and full triathlon, but you know, there's other stuff like the human flag. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's like a gymnastics type thing where you, where you can give enough strength in your abs to, to, uh, hang sideways off a pole like a flag. Oh, oh, um, no, flag I've never post. heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what keeps me going. I just need to always have a challenge coming up, coming forward. And so at the moment, it's it's a it's a, a challenge on strength in the gym. But I'll just keep on adding them more and more as I as I go through. Oh, life. Well done to you. Well, well, well done to you. Will you be home in Spa Glen for Christmas? Uh, I won't this Christmas, unfortunately. No, I'll miss it. Yeah. So uh, yeah. This is a great spot on Christmas Eve. Listen, it's been a real yeah. pleasure uh, talking to you, Brian. Uh, continued good luck uh, with it, and and now your new journey in life as well. It's it's fantastic, and and thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. As a pleasure, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Good morning to you. Bye bye, Brian O'Keefe there. Bridgie from Mallow joining us from Mallorca. And actually, his video, uh, we had it up on, uh, it's still up on our Instagram, on the C103 our Instagram page if you want to see it. It is just so well worth a watch. It just, it just makes you smile, you know, to see somebody who's got help and battled all of his life with weight, wasn't happy with the weight, tried to lose the weight, and then. Uh, really applied himself. He's he's a credit to himself. Uh, he really is. Well done to uh, Brian O'Keefe. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Spoke about last week on the programme. It's been described as Christmas coming early to the town with the news that the long awaited McCroom bypass is finally set to open next month. Now, before the official opening, a charity ball run is set to take place on Saturday, December the 3rd. And with further details, I'm joined by one of the organisers, James O'Sullivan. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Formerly of this parish, may I say. Uh, and I'm unaware. Did you realise we were 32 years on air yesterday? I I did. I was actually talking to JP about it. And I I was thinking this morning as I was driving up the road, did you ever think when you were trotting down to Bandon 32 years ago? that you'll be talking about balls this morning on the radio. Uh, possibly not. P- furthest thing from my mind, I would say, James, on that particular day. Now, describe to us what a ball run is and what part of the bypass you plan to use. The bypass is opening um, on the, the, the McCroom section of it, which is absolutely fantastic. And there's a couple of different events that are on. Um, Muskery Athletic Club, and if you have a look at their Facebook page, are having a run on a section of it and this is going to be once in a lifetime it's like walking through the tunnel years ago mm. um, where they're going from one side of, of town I think to the other all the details are on the, the, the Muskery at Muskery um, AC site and after that um, about a week later on, well actually on the 3rd of December uh, what we plan on doing is taking 12,000 multicoloured balls they look like skittles they're, they're, they're kids play balls basically Okay. Uh, they're all numbered it's been great fun getting them numbered 1 to 12,000 Um. We're going selling them at a fiver apiece. We are going to have a one thousand euro first prize for the first numbered ball to make it across the line, okay. and various other prizes. And it's all in aid of the community air ambulance. Great cause, great cause. Uh, it, 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 
we will never get the chance again to get on on the bypass. Um, it's going to be on the highest point. It's on on. I'm going looking at it in the morning. Actually, I think it's just on the eastern side of the town. There's a new bridge that people are able to come and, and look down onto it, and we're going deciding in the morning which direction we're going to go. We're, we have a bag that we're going to check and uh, drop them off to see which way it's going to work best. And uh, how, that, how do you release twelve thousand plastic coloured balls? Um, we're very, very lucky that we've had the support of Cork County Council and the support of contractors. Um, John's, in, in particular, have been fantastic to us. They're going to give us two of their machines on the bypass. We're going to fill them in there and literally dump them out at the top of the hill. <laughs> it's, uh, and I've seen them. I, I don't know if I've ever seen as many as 12,000. That's a huge number. Uh, it looks fantastic. So then you just release them, off they go, and the first ball, whatever number's on it, past the line, that person wins the thousand euro. That's one. The- one thousand euro. No, that that's that's the good part, and that's kind of the easy part. The the problem I have is we've only got two weeks to do this. Okay. We've got our permit. We only got at the, at the last moment the ability to get into the bypass. As you can understand, it takes a bit of organising. We've had to get insurance. We've had to get permits. We've had to get the prizes are sponsored by the way as well. So every single cent raised by McCroom Line Club will go to the to the air ambulance. Okay. And so do I take it? Tickets are on sale from all of the Lions Club members. Is it? Uh, they are, but what I actually need, and I, I need your help on this, I could do it with uh, C103 being a media partner, so I'm hoping that will be the case. But the air ambulance covers everywhere that this radio station can be picked up. And further. They will get there mm. within 25 minutes, and it's unbelievable the work they're doing. And it's 2.1 million a year to run the thing. So like, I, what I was hoping is if I can get people who are willing to, to sell tickets, so be that businesses, be it factories, be it shops, be it clubs, anywhere around Cork, Kerry, Limerick, Tipperary, if you can hear us talking this morning, this ambulance could land outside your door. You hope you'll never see it. But it's, it, I, I need to get that many people involved to physically get the actual number sold within the two weeks. Yeah. Okay, like so we, we have your we have your contact uh, details that if anybody wants to help out. I mean, a shop, for example, maybe have something on the shop, counter. Clubs, um, the businesses, like if, if you've got a local a local factory and God forbid something happens to anybody there, these lads will be there in minutes. Yeah, and it's they they get literally pittance from the government. They're hope, they're hoping to to improve on that, but at the moment, like it costs you about five thousand euro a day. To run this. And it's a charity. It's a, we've oh, discussed it's, 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 many times before. It seems crazy that an air ambulance that saves lives has to run as a charity, but that's you know that's the rules they, at the moment. But they have the 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 the, um, the rapid response cars as well with volunteer doctors in them, and, and like two of those doctors were in Donegal at that horrible tragedy in in, in, in Cresla. Yeah, that's all from the money that's raised locally here. And it, I've, I've seen this thing in action. Like I've, I've been down in West Kerry where an ambulance wouldn't make it. In You'd be waiting the day and everybody knows what it's like waiting for somebody. Well, I, I hope most people don't. But you see this thing appearing out of the sky and landing on someone's lawn or landing on... The, like The road was blocked in Farron 4, I believe, the other day where they met an ambulance coming from the hospital to get someone transferred to, to, to Cork or Dublin faster. And then in minutes in minutes, they, they can have them. At, but this uh, is by volunteers. Like it, yeah. It's crazy that it should be by volunteers, but it is. And I think if we can help, if we can get enough people behind this, if I can get, if you have a shop, 
if you have a pub, if you have a club, if you can help, have a look at the McCroom Line Club Facebook page. There's a telephone number on there. If you can sell tickets, it's fantastic. If you could take a book of them in for us and sell maybe 25 or 30 of them, it would be great. absolutely amazing. And the more the people that get involved, the easier these tickets, uh, the balls, and with the numbers on them will, will, will be, uh, the faster that they will go. Because as you say, you've got two weeks in which to sell 12,000 plastic balls, each with a number on them. And then the McCroom Bypass will uh, officially open. Long overdue, James. Long, long overdue. We cannot wait. We absolutely <laughs> just uh, and like we love people from Kerry, <laughs> but they've, they've been kind of you know blowing through the town in the morning and not inclined to let locals out and stuff like that. And they love Mac- Kerry people, love Macroom people. They cannot wait to see the back of us. Okay. <laughs> they just they wave down the hill and go. Bye. That's it. Off you go onto the again. bypass with you. Listen, James. We'll keep in contact uh, with you in the meantime. Thank you for that and good luck no with it. Good luck Macroom with it. It's different. Club Facebook page, please. The telephone number is there. If you don't ring us, we will ring you, but we need to sell these in two weeks. Okay. Thanks, James. Thank you. That's bye. Bye bye. That is James O'Sullivan of uh, McCroom Lions Club. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And I love to see a text come in like this from a listener to say, Hi, Patricia. I just happened to switch on the radio as Brian O'Keefe was starting his chat with you. That was Brian O'Keefe from Mallow, uh, joining us from Mallorca, telling us of his weight loss journey and how he battled his weight practically all of his life, certainly all of his teenage and adult uh, life and how he locked himself away into the wilderness of Mallorca. But uh, it was kind of, it was he to get his mindset right, I think, more than anything, but battled hard and lost 10 stone. And I've seen the before and after photographs. It's He's like a different uh, person. Anyway, this is, said, I switched on and I found Brian so inspiring. I am at the lowest ever with my weight gain and I'm inspired now by listening to Brian to try again. Thanks so much. Well, I just, that made me, that made my day actually when I saw that uh, text. Let this be your start day. Let this be day one for you on your journey uh, to losing that weight and stay in contact with us. Let me know how you're getting on and we'll keep our fingers and toes and everything crossed for you and do whatever works for you because I think that was the one thing to Brian's success. It wasn't that he followed because as he said in the past he followed all of the fad diets that were out there. He tried everything but nothing was working for him but basically it's the calorie deficit you stick to uh, a set amount of calories every day and then you up the, the movement the side of it and then as you're losing the weight when you sort of plateau then you just reduce the calories and increase the activity that you're doing and you will get there you will get there one day we wish you absolutely the best of luck and I was really interested to hear Brian saying now because of the journey he's been on he wants to inspire and he wants to help other people and I know uh, I read uh, over the weekend that he's hoping to set up his own um website to help people just like your good self who texted us there and it's brianokeefe.com is what it's going to be called when I checked it last night it's still under construction so he's still working on that at the moment so that's going to be his journey in life helping others uh, to do what he has managed to do but the best of luck and thank you I really appreciate you texting us this morning and somebody else sent in a lovely text I love the positive text saying Patricia just in for my paying my car insurance so I popped into Birmingham's gift shop in for my it's a Christmas winter wonderland it put a smile on my face 
just what we all need at the moment. Certainly lots to choose from. And yes, I did make a couple of purchases. Well done to the staff at Birmingham's. And yes, I will be back again. It's well worth a visit. Well done. That's a lovely text. And again, good to see people going in and support local and shop local and please as much as you can. And I know this year money is tight for a lot of people and people are watching and trying to get the best offers that they can get. I appreciate that. And that will, I think, force a number of people to go online because I think that they're going to get and perhaps will be able to get a cheaper offer. But if at all possible, if you can support local shops, particularly local independent stores, they're the ones that need our help more than ever. And certainly we need it going into the new year. So well done to everybody at Birmingham's gift shop in Fomoy. A must visit this Christmas, says one of our listeners. Now, some more of your calls and comments coming in. Scams. OK, this is to do with the piece I did earlier about the, the gentleman from Kinsale who nearly got caught out by some scam artists well criminals more than scam artists criminals at, at his door in Kinsale persuaded him to go to the post office to take out his hard earned savings four and a half thousand euro vigilant worker in the credit union in Kinsale just suspected something was odd about this particular transaction and contacted the guards and lo and behold they caught the the criminals that were involved in trying to take the money uh, away and that led to somebody making the point that this elderly man should uh, you know should somebody intervene almost and that you know the fact he fell for this scam is should he really be in control of his money which slightly annoyed me just because somebody falls for a scam it doesn't mean you take the financial independence away from them and you start to micromanage every single transaction the person uh, makes uh, and I made the point that scams and con artists can uh, can get to anyone of all ages. It's not just the tendency to target more elderly vulnerable people for sure, but it isn't always elderly people. Helen's, Helen, Helen agrees, says it's not just elderly people that got, get caught out by these scams. They can start on a computer, for example. How many online scams are there and how many people were caught out by online scams? But Helen says what worries her about the story of the elderly man in Kinsale uh, was the fact that we're hearing older people and so many older people are cold and hungry yet you have this elderly man with that kind of money and I don't know how much money he has in the credit union or if he has other money in the bank but he's hanging on to money and she wonders what he's hanging on to the money for with so many older people struggling at the moment and younger families struggling at uh, the moment uh, Helen says she's aware that many older people hold on to money for their funerals. They should be spending it now, particularly when they need it. And God knows there has been so many cases of an older person who lived in almost poverty. And after they passed away, it turned out they did have money. They did have savings, but were fearful about spending it. And there would be people of a certain uh, generation who had lived very frugally all of their lives and had the little nest egg. And the nest egg is there for the rainy day. And they're terrified of spending any of their money. And Helen is right. There are others. There are other older people who will insist on leaving money in the bank, will go, go, will go cold and go hungry this w- winter rather than spend their funeral money, which is really, really sad. But unfortunately, I think that goes with that generation. But yet it's to try to encourage them to spend it so that they have a bit of comfort in their lives. I, I always it just it saddens me when I hear of elderly people who died and who didn't have a lot of comfort in their latter years. And then it turns out there was a pot of money there 
that could have brought them some kind of comfort while they were still alive. And Martin in Carrigaline says, just one more thing, as I've mentioned, scams today. Could you please remind people to be careful? The HSC scam text is doing the rounds at the moment. The one that says you're at close contact, you need to click on the link so they can send you out antigen tests. And of course, when you do that, they look for your bank details to cover the cost of the postage. And it's a huge, big scam. Martin in Carrigaline got the text, but he said his son also got a similar one just to warn people. And Martin, that was the very same text, scam text, that we got a call in about last week from one of our listeners who unfortunately hadn't heard the warning, did click on the link, did give the bank details and €2,000 was taken out of that person's bank account. So yeah, you've got to be so careful. Thank you for your call this morning, Martin. By the way, if you have any questions for Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener, Peter is going to be joining us. I can already see some coming in by text. You can also call John Paul at 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Now John in the city was on to us saying that commercial rates he was reading and seeing how commercial rates it's on our news as well is going to increase in Cork City and when I heard that the rates were going to go up I can see from the the executive at the city council and from the councillor's point of view they have to try and get in money you know to pay for everything for next year for the running of the council but my heart kind of sank when I realised commercial rates were going to go up because businesses are just so so struggling at the moment and going forward next year is going to be a very difficult time for a lot of businesses anyway John is very annoyed to hear the commercial rates are going up for businesses they're going to crucify businesses in Cork City with these additional rate increases then he said add to that traffic is so bad at the moment in the city bus drivers according to John are tearing their hair out some bus drivers are actually leaving their jobs as they cannot drive a bus around Cork City anymore he says between traffic jams and how hard it is to get around the city and now hearing commercial rates are going up um, they should change the name to Lego City instead of Cork City and then he said to here this morning they're not going to have a public switching on of the Christmas lights that's just the icing on the cake John is not a happy camper inside in Cork City. And then a number of people, thank you, giving advice to our listener who somehow milk got spilt on the back seat of her car. And she's looking for double advice. Advice now to get rid of the smell now of the sour milk. And also she doesn't have a dehumidifier. She's obviously washed the seat as best she can. But now the seat is very wet and she's trying to dry out the seat, even though I think the seat will dry out itself. It's the smell is probably the bigger problem. John and Damamway said the very same thing happened to John in the summer and somehow milk got spilt or leaked in the car. He said a neighbour gave him some advice and the advice was to spread cat litter onto it. It did a superb job. It not only got rid of the smell, it also soaked it all up as well. And that's what cat litter does. Yeah, the cat litter certainly would dry out will dry out the car seat. So you're going to have to coat whatever the wet area is, coat it with cat liver litter. Obviously leave it overnight or maybe for a day or, or two if you can leave the car parked up without moving it and then just sweep sweep it up and hoover up uh, what's left. But the cat litter absorbs the smell as well. And that's what cat litter 
because it absorbs the smell of cat pee, doesn't it, as well? So well done. That's I haven't heard that piece of advice before. Asked some challenge on and he said it worked a treat for him. Eddie Amalo says, uh, tell her to take the seat out of the car if she can and power wash it. Failing that, go to somebody who does car valeting. Uh, they certainly should be able to sort um, the problem out. Uh, I think she's more looking for a DIY suggestion, Eddie, more than anything. Uh, Tina in Bantry says to put baking get baking powder sprinkle baking powder all over the seat leave it overnight and then it will absorb both the smell and any liquid residue that's left and then you simply hoover it out the next day kind of works I think on the same principle as the cat litter Tina I'm imagining that's what it does but she says it'll get rid of the smell and absorb the liquid as well and then a couple of other people and I've heard this suggestion before but I don't know if it works or not to put onions you peel an onion and have it and leave it in a bowl in the car overnight and uh, it will take the smell away. I know if you put an, o- an onion like that inside in a fridge it absorbs smells doesn't it? So I don't know whether if that's what that is based on or not. 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls. We're particularly looking for questions for Peter Dowdell please our resident gardener. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Second Confession, a comedy in three acts by Paddy Heffernan will be performed by Kildallery Drama Group and it op- it's opening tonight and then runs nightly until Sunday night at the Store Creamery Yard in Kildallery. All proceeds from tonight going to Marymount Hospice. Tickets are 10 euro for adults, 5 for children and available from Kildallery Community Office. Author Bill Power is delivering a lecture focusing on the Civil War tonight in the Fomoy Community Centre. It's at 8.15. Copies of his book Doomed Inheritance, which of course focused on the looting and burning of Mitchellstown Castle, will also be available tonight. A lecture called Skin Deep will be held at 7 o'clock tonight in Hayfield Manor Hotel. It'll examine the connection between skin health and microbiome with dermatologists and researchers attending. All are welcome and the link to register is on the Cork Science Festival website. The band and branch of the Society of St Vincent de Paul are asking now for personal requests to be submitted to them by Thursday the 8th of December. You can submit your name, address and phone number to the Bandon shop or place it in the allocated box which is in the church in Bandon. And a DVD of Clonbannon's journey through the War of Independence is now available. Uh, the cost is €20 Euro and it's available by contacting Charlie on 086 840 3914. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. And just a late addition to the community diary. Somebody has just contacted us to say that there will be a talk on the Lusitania tonight going ahead at Bearings National School Hall. It's open to all and it's on at 8 o'clock and the speaker is Con Hayes. That's tonight at 8 in Bearings National uh, School. And uh, by the way, when I mentioned about the kettles, the fans, the heaters, the fridges, all to be taken out, all non-related appliances to be banned from public sector offices from the end of next week. We put it up on our C103 Insta page just to do a poll to see how do people feel? uh, Could you do without these items? in your workplace was the question we asked today. 
75% of people said absolutely no, they could not go to work unless they, certainly the kettle and the fridge was uh, there. So a lot of people, I'm assuming, will have sympathy for the public sector workers, but not everyone has sympathies because somebody says, Patricia, the people are being, denied, are, are being denied canteen facilities in their own private office. They're not being denied canteens. So there's fear for them. They all have cushy numbers anyway, indoors in the public service. What's wrong with them going to the general canteen at break times? This happens for all other workers. It's no wonder that you can hardly get anyone on the phone with waits of up to 40 minutes if they're taking so many breaks. And it's all at the expense of the tax uh, payer. It's time to call a halt. That somebody doesn't have a lot of sympathy. Yeah, and the circular does say that they must remove all on all any item deemed non-work related electrical appliances uh, must be removed from the office floor. So, yeah, so obviously I'm assuming in some of the large civil servants, civil servant buildings, public service buildings is obviously you would assume the main canteen and then smaller offices, maybe with a little fridge in the corner or they might have their own kettle are on different floors, for example. I'm, I'm assuming they are the ones to be removed. So somebody not having a lot of sympathy there, for sure. Somebody else, though, does have... Where's this other one gone? Shay says, doing away with kettles and toasters in the workplace. What next? It's looking more and more like a communist state every single day. Someone's certainly not happy with that. That's from Shay. Thank you for that, uh, Shay. And just let me just double check that I got through. I did. Just want to make sure that I got through all of those uh, texts and calls that have come in, in into us. Because yesterday and indeed the day before when the news broke of the very sad death of uh, Vicky Phelan. And we were talking about Vicky again uh, yesterday. So it is good to see reported today that new legislation making it mandatory for doctors and health staff to admit mistakes will be brought to conclu- conclusion and the Taoiseach saying it'll be before the end of the year. He was speaking after the TDs in the Dáil yesterday paid tribute to the late Sir Vital Check campaigner Vicky Phelan. Uh, Micheál Martin said that the Patient Safety Bill, which was initiated in 2019 and makes full disclosures obligatory, he says that will be finalised by the end of the year. TDs present in the Dáil yesterday all stood for a minute's silence uh, to honour Vicky Phelan after tributes were paid by party uh, by all parties and uh, group leaders. The Taoiseach said that the new National Cervical Screening Laboratory at the Coombe Hospital that will also, he said, be operational by the end of the year. He stated that the new lab is designed to ultimately become the main lab for Cervical Check Services. However, he did add that it would take time before it was self-sufficient. Samples therefore will continue to have to be outsourced to labs in the United States. A spokesperson for the HSC said the new national lab has been developed by the HSC and the Coombe Women and Children's Hospital to become this national centre of excellence for cervical screening. The building works are finished. They've passed all the required building inspections. A building and clinical equipment fit-out phase is now underway to ensure the new lab is ready for operation. The laboratory equipment uh, will then undergo rigorous testing, validation, verification before final external quality assurance inspections take place. They're going to be vital. Once those inspections are completed, all going well, the lab should be up and ready and be operational by year end. Um, and the new lab then is designed to become Cervical Check's main provider 
of screening laboratory services and that's the way it should be. We should be able to do all of the testing of our own women here in this country. However, there is a sting. They're saying recruitment of skilled staff will be a top priority and they're saying that could be a top priority for several years with the National Survival Screening Lab increasing the number of uh, checks that it receives. Uh, as these key roles are filled, the lab will work towards becoming the main provider of lab services for smear tests in the coming years. A second lab contractor will remain necessary at all times to ensure resilience in the service and quality assurance is going to be up there uh, just to make sure that what happened to Vicky and to the other women involved in the Survival Check Conference in the hope that it will never ever happen again. And if you are in the city, a reminder to you that the the Lord Mayor opened up a book of condolences. It's now available in Cork City Hall. It's open Monday to Friday from 9am to 5pm and it'll be open for the next two weeks. That's a book of condolences at Cork City Hall. And I've just had a text in from musician Johnny Bongos in Mallow to say he's opened a book of condolences for Vicky Phelan and it'll be opened in the Arches Bar in Mallow for the next two weeks if people are in the Mallow area. 0818103103 questions please for Peter Dowdle our resident gardener get them into us you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I was just noticing when I was doing the weather forecast for tonight into tomorrow morning I think it's the first uh, they're saying there could be a slight grass frost uh, with temperatures could go as low uh, in- inland of zero uh, to plus four degrees should we be concerned about anything in the garden with a grass frost or is it too early to be- start getting concerned Never have I been happier to see um, a frost being forecast Trish it was just a, a so unseasonal we had 19 degrees I think last week so it, it, we're more used to this aren't we a bit of grass frost coming in the middle of November um, I don't think we know we don't really need to be concerned about anything except if you have something like frost tender plants so anything that's growing in the garden that's frost tender like maybe your geraniums and fuchsias and things like that if you ha- still have them out since the summer uh, maybe put something over them or ideally if they're growing in pots move them inside from now on um, but I don't think it's going to do any damage to anything except those kind of frost tender fellas Okay and then somebody sent in a question along with a photograph that I can actually answer the question so I didn't even uh, need to send it on to Peter and the question is Patricia, uh, Peter uh, I have this house plant for years and years and recently it's produced beautiful flowers what is it and can I take a slip from it and this listener there's no name on it has sent in two stunning photographs of a most beautiful Christmas cactus and it is in full bloom and you know what I only discovered during the week is that uh, there is, oh, it just goes to show that no matter how much you think you know, you never know at all. Um, but I got some. I, I I just discovered recently that there are the the, the Christmas cactus is Slumbergia, an awful mouthful of a name. But there are different species of Slumbergia, and this is so. Some of them are actually will flower earlier than Christmas, and they're called Thanksgiving cactus. Ah. Okay. So you have Thanksgiving cactus and Christmas cactus, and to the best of my knowledge, you then have an Easter cactus. So there are different species of Slumbergia which will flower at different times of the year, all within a couple of months of each other. 
And that could well be, in fact, why peoples are flowering earlier than Christmas. It might just be that different species. I'm going to I'm going to put up some pictures and some information on my own Facebook page, Irish Garden. Please do, because I, 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 I definitely I definitely have the Thanksgiving one then, because mine is flowered, and the ones we have here at the canteen at work, and this listener's one is is laden down with flowers. But the question is, can can she take a slip from it? She, she can. You can indeed. Now, if you look at the kind of leaf segments, they they grow as segments, as they're modified leaves, but they're modified stems. But if you look at them, they're there, each one of them will actually grow into a new plant. So what you do is, you, you where the segments meet, that's the node. And the node, as always, I'm always going on about how magical the nodes are, because that's where all the hormones are. That's where the magic comes from. So the, the base of one of the segments is, it needs to go into a small bit of rooting powder uh, and into a pot full of compost. You, you put about half the segment under the ground or into the under the soil uh, and keep it damp, or not damp, keep it moist without being too damp. And a, a cutting should be two segments in length. So take the top two segments off your stem, uh, remove any flower buds or any third segment on top, uh, the bottom one into a bit of rooting powder, and about half bury the bottom segment into, into a bit of compost. Keep it indoors, uh, and they'll actually root away quite easily. And it, I know it says, is, is it a form of cactus? Well, cactus isn't, a, believe it or not, it's not, it's not a genus, so it's, it's, it's kind of a group of plants. Okay. Uh, and Slumbergia does fall under that, yeah. Oh, it doesn't, okay. Actually, cancer, we yeah. have a mystery here in the radio station because in our canteen, three magnificent cacti have appeared and nobody knows who put them there. <laughs> Genuinely, nobody knows. Everybody in the building's been asked. We all thought it was one person who's great at the plants and she says, no, nothing to do with me. And we've, <laughs> won, we've one more member of staff to ask, uh, are they possibly, even though we don't think that they're responsible for it, but it's just a mystery, these magnificent, and they're big cacti. They're not small little ones. Yeah, so I'll, I'll keep you updated when we find out do, who, the, who the mystery Mr. or Mrs. Cacti is. Yeah. Okay. Hi, Patricia. Could you ask Peter, is it time to plant my last year tulip bulbs into outdoor containers now? Uh, enjoy listening to Peter every week. I'm assuming when they say last year is that they haven't been in the packet since last year and unplanted. Uh, I'm assuming that they mean that they flowered earlier in the spring and they lifted them and did all the right things, if you like, uh, and coming to planting them out again. So the answer to that is yes. Uh, but really it's only from now because tulips of all the spring flowering bulbs, tulips in particular, really want to drop in temperatures before you plant them. Um, so it's really only from now on that you, you would be planting them. Uh, you still have plenty of time. I often don't get tulips planted until January and they still come on fine. So yes, but plant them out now, anytime from now on. Yeah, because we had somebody last week was saying their daffodils, well, I don't think the daffodils were in bloom, but the daffodil, the leaves were well up uh, last week, by last week, and that was to do with the, the warm weather. It was, and like we see a lot of you know things like da- daffodils emerging a bit too early. And uh, my own garden, like I, I took a few pictures uh, at the weekend, and there were so many things in flower at the same time that shouldn't be, if you know what I mean. So my dahlias were up, uh, but I also have um, uh, the crinodendron, which is the spring flowering tree that the Ch- Japanese or Chinese lantern, and some rhododendrons coming into flower, and then the, which are spring flowering, and there's roses still in bloom. So all these things in flower in the middle of November. When of course they shouldn't be, and at the same time the mahonia is in full bloom, which is yellow flowering winter plant, which should be. So it's all very strange mm. to see these things. But that was, I think, last week we had a record-breaking uh, low temperature. One of the one of the days, the lowest temperature was 15 degrees. Yeah, it's um, incredible. So it's, it's not strange. It's not unusual. Yeah, and uh, all all down to climate 
change. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, Catherine in Donorel says, I have geraniums and lavender growing in pots. How do I best protect them now over the winter months? And do I need to water them during the winter months? Well, the lavenders will need, need little or no protection. They'll be fine. They'll cope with the low temperatures, no problem. But a lay-off watering, because the, the one thing that lavender doesn't like in our climate is the amount of moisture we do get. And, of course, if they've managed to survive the last four weeks of intense rainfall, then they, they should, they'll be fine. I, but I wouldn't be too worried about watering them. Now, uh, and I wouldn't even maybe give them a slight trim back, but not, nothing severe at this time of year, maybe just to tidy them up. The geraniums, now, I'm assuming that she means the geraniums that I, I spoke to about a second ago, which are the summer flowering, actually, pelargoniums, right? But we call them like the bedding geraniums. So if they're the geraniums, she means, then they would need either to have fleece put over them if it's getting very cold at night or else to be brought in for the winter. Um, if, however, if it's, I suspect that that's what she means by geraniums, but then you have geraniums, which are the herbaceous geraniums, or they're also known as cranesbill. Um, they, they, they're ninety-nine percent of them are herbaceous, meaning that they'll die back under the ground for the winter. If they're the geraniums, she means, then you have to do nothing; they'll be fine. But if it's the the bedding plants, the ones that I'm talking that she's talking about, then bring them in for the winter. Okay, Maura, and my apologies to Maura because I know this came in last week as well, but she's resubmitted it again this week to say I have green fly in my glass house. Um, I have to admit, I've had green fly for the last couple of years. I simply can't get rid of it. I've taken out everything. I've washed it all down with Jay's fluid, but it seems they seem to come back year after year. I'm continuously spraying with the garlic and washing up liquid on the plants. Is there any cure for once and for all to get green fly out of a glass house? I feel her pain and I know how infuriating it can be. Uh, there isn't really any magic wand beyond what she's doing, like a good clean out uh, of everything in the greenhouse at this time of the year. So, and that, like that, But that means everything, like hand tools, everything that's in there needs to come out uh, and then clean it uh, and allow good air circulation and, and wipe down the surfaces because they, eggs and that could be overwintering under shelves, in the handles of shovels, anything like that. Um, so really is a good clean out and then next year I mean good ventilation you could try um, persist with the garlic spray the garlic and water because that does even though you aren't getting green fly I suspect it would be far worse if you weren't using that but the other thing you could try is, is kind of plants that will attract green fly to them so you have some that will repel green fly like marigolds and things like that so you could try growing some some uh, repellent plants in the glass house that might help, particularly near susceptible plants. A quick search online will give you more. Uh, but then there are some that they will love and that they will flock to. So things like nasturtium is the, t- the one that springs to mind. Um, but there are many others that the green fly will, will spring to. I've just got a mental block on them at the moment. But th- that the green fly will be attracted to. So you nearly call them sacrificial plants. So plants that they will find more attractive than everything else in the greenhouse. So you could maybe try using a few of them and seeing if that helps. Okay, you could cause a bit of problems now inside in one household because somebody has literally texted in, should my hobby still be cutting the lawn? I, I take it from that, the hobby, the hobby doesn't want to cut the lawn. Um, I've, I've seen neighbours are still cutting the lawn. You can still cut, can't you, at this time of the year? I think if you're, a hobby, if you're lucky enough to have a hobby who's still willing to go out and cut the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> but is it, is, is it okay to still do it? It is, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, as long as growth keeps going, you kind of need to cut the lawn or else it'll get a, a, a too, too, too tall and too unkempt looking altogether. Um, so, 
Yes, you can. The only the, the two times that you stop cutting the lawn really are if it's waterlogged, and of course an awful lot of lawns around the country are waterlogged at the moment, or if it's frozen. So we haven't had the freezing problem yet, but we have had waterlogging. So if it's waterlogged, don't. Number one, it'll clog up the mower, but also you'll leave kind of ruts from the wheels of the lawnmower in the, in the sodden grass, which isn't ideal. So... But on a day when it's not lashing rain and the ground isn't waterlogged, if the grass is high, you then cut it, yeah. It growth will certainly slow down now as the temperatures are dropping. Yeah. Uh, and I think before we know it, we'll probably get a cold snap, which will stop it for a couple of weeks or months. OK, Anne says, I've got a Ponsettia plant that I purchased last year. It's still looking very well. Is that unusual? I think people just ring in with this just to show I off. I know, because you can't keep a Ponsettia, can't. you can't. Yeah, I can't <laughs> either. I, uh, like, I think one year I did and that was it. So the answer to the question is it unusual? It, it, it's uncommon, put it that way, but it's not unheard of. Many people can get it from year to year. I can't because they're so temperamental. Um, but if you have and it's still looking well, do nothing except what you have been doing uh, and, and keep keep doing what you're doing and, and you should have it for Christmas. Yeah, and that is the key. Don't move it. Get it into the house as quick as you can because it's, if it's in any kind of anywhere with the draft... That's it. It'll look it's, fine, but next to all the leaves will start falling off. Absolutely, and it's the, the, the damage is often done before you buy it. So if it's been in any kind of a drafty situation, and of course it's, over the next few weeks people will look at buying them. So if you're buying Ponsetti, be very careful where you buy them. Um, so don't buy them if they're if they're being stocked next to a doorway or a window. or uh, I, I shudder when I see them in supermarkets next to the refri- refrigerators because you have the warm air from the, the motors and then you have the cold air from the fridge blowing up on top of the Ponsettias. So be very careful that they, they want to be stored and, and stocked in somewhere that's kind of a consistent temperature. Um, uh, and give don't be scared to give, give it a bit of a shake before you take it. And if a few leaves fall off, leave it behind you because it, it won't come back. Rita's holly is full of red berries. Is there any way to store, cut and store the holly with the red ber- berries? She'd love to keep them for Christmas wreaths that she's planning on making herself. Well, we're, we're, we're close enough to Christmas now. We're four or five weeks away. So, yeah, I mean, you can cut, cut the holly. Uh, and remember, we had this before, Trish, in, into a bucket of damp sand. Um, into, and, and So cut your stems and plunge them into a bucket of damp sand uh, and keep that then indoors, not in your house, but in a cool garden shed or, or garage or something like that so where it's cool um, and they're not going to dry out. The, the, the damp sand will stop them from drying out. They're indoors. They're away from birds and things like that. And it's only four or five weeks away, so you, you, I suppose realistically, it's only two weeks before we start decorating. So yeah, yeah, I, I say they, they should be okay. And for some, the trees have already gone up. The decorations no, are already no. up. Bit too early. All right, listen. Have a lovely week, and we'll chat next Wednesday. And you, thanks. Thanks a million. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. So a reminder once again, if you're involved with charity calendars, community calendars, calendars that you put together in your own area to raise money for a local good cause, get a copy of the calendar into us because we're trying to mention as many of the calendars as possible to encourage people to shop local and to buy a local calendar that will promote a good cause in your area. So if you can get them into Patricia Messenger, C103 Goulds Hill in Mallow. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock for another edition of the programme. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.